Hello, and welcome to the Calvary Chapel Southeast podcast. Thank you for joining us for our study through the book of 1 Corinthians. This letter was written by the Apostle Paul to the struggling church in Corinth. They were allowing the culture to influence them more than they were impacting the world. As a result, the church was crumbling. Paul's strong words of rebuke and encouragement teach us many things about how we as believers should live in a dark and depraved world. Grab your Bibles and let's jump in. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we're going to be looking at verses 35 through 58 today, but as we've been learning, the importance of Jesus' physical resurrection cannot be overemphasized. Here in chapter 15, the Apostle Paul says that if Jesus didn't physically rise from the dead, then our faith as believers is in vain. He says it's futile. And if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, everything else in Christianity doesn't matter. As we've been learning through this study in in the book of 1 Corinthians is that this book, this letter, is a corrective letter. It was written from Paul to the church in Corinth. And what we know is that they had many sin issues going on. They were a young church, an immature church. They were struggling a lot. They were also struggling with bad doctrine. The church was being influenced more by the world, and that is always a dangerous place to be. And the church looked more like Corinth than it looked like Christ. And one of the things that they were confused about was the doctrine of the resurrection. And because of that, it it made them a hopeless people. Not just the resurrection of Jesus, they were confused on that, but also the resurrection of all God's people at the end of time. In verse 12 here in chapter 15, Paul would say, now if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? So again, there were some Christians, some believers here, they were denying the resurrection of believers. They were denying this biblical teaching that we all will rise bodily. And so Paul writes to them here in chapter 15 to expose their logic. He says, Corinth, like, if you don't believe in, like, the resurrection of the dead, like, do you know what that means? Like, follow that logic through. And in verse 13, he says, okay, if this is true, if there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ is raised. And that's a bleak picture because if Christ isn't, like, raised from the dead, then none of it matters. None of this. Our gatherings, Corinth, don't matter anymore. You lose the resurrection of Jesus, Corinth, you lose everything. In verse 14, he says, if if there's no resurrection, then our preaching is in vain. Our faith is in vain. It's worthless. It's meaningless. In verse 17, he says, if there's no resurrection, then you're still in your sins. And what a bleak, sad thing to think about. If Jesus didn't resurrect, then the cross was a defeat. Jesus lost. The game is over. And we're stuck in our sins. In verse 18, he says that our lives, if Jesus didn't resurrect, that our lives are marked by death. Death gets the final word. And out of all men, he says, we as believers should be most pitied. You see, if Christ has not risen, then there is no hope. There's no future. Now, today is all you have. But he says in verse 20, and I love it, he says, but now Christ has been raised, amen? (laughs) He says he's the first fruits. 
Jesus conquered sin and death. And now because of our faith in him, our preaching and our faith actually means something. That you and I have been forgiven of our sins, our shame, and our guilt are no longer on our shoulders. Our lives are no longer marked by death, but by newness of life that Jesus brings. Amen? And Paul says here, and this is, you, can't, you can't gloss over this one. He says, he being Jesus is the first fruits of those who are asleep. In other words, the resurrection of Jesus Christ was only the beginning. It was only the beginning. The resurrection of Jesus guarantees our resurrection as believers as well. And even as Christ was raised, so too all believers share in this hope that we will rise in new, glorious, eternal resurrection bodies. And so Paul made his argument to this church to correct them, to correct their thinking. But he's not done answering their questions. He, he wants to give them more clarity. And so we're going to see him in this passage explain a little bit more of what exactly it looks like for us when we pass from this life to the next. And this morning, I have just two basic points, if you even want to call them points, they'll be on the screen. But the first point this morning comes in question form. It is this, what kind of body do I get, right? And now, you know, now that Paul has settled like the whole argument of like, okay, there is a resurrection of the dead. Okay, good, we're moving on, right? We're moving on from that. He goes on to answer this question. Look at verse 35. He says, but someone will say, how are the dead raised? And with what kind of body do they come? Again, now that the church is up to speed on the resurrection, that Jesus is alive, right? He's conquered the grave. Paul's going to spend the next 14 verses and answer this question that was just presented. How are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? Now, I find it fascinating just like reading through this. Like, this is the first question that's on their mind, right? Like, okay, you convinced me about the resurrection. And now they're like, well, what kind of body do I get? Like, do I get a fly? Like, I, I think I've ever thought about that. Like in heaven, like, do we get a fly? Like, that'd be amazing, right? I don't know. What am I going to look like? This is, the, this is what's on their mind. Now, I don't know if we're going to fly. Maybe. I mean, God, yeah, I'm sure God, God's got wings for us. I don't know. <laughs> we don't get to know what we get until the Bible tells us the appropriate time. Now, once you die, he told the hold that the physical body has on you, we know is broken. Right now, you and I are confined to the laws of the universe, to the earth. We're confined to the earth. The laws of gravity apply to all of us. But once we die, we're no longer bound by the physical nature. The physical body will decompose. Your shell, this is what that, our, our bodies are. They're a shell. They're a temporary tent. will decompose back into the original elements that they're created from. Genesis 3.19 says, by the sweat of your face you will eat bread till you return to the ground because from it you were taken for you are dust and to dust you shall return. And I think we all understand that this morning, right? And so people ask, so what happens to my body? What happens to me? And so Paul says in verse 36, you fool, 
Again, when he says that, it's not like they ask the bad question. Generally, in, in Galatians, you foolish Galatians who's bewitched you, it's always, um, they weren't asked, some of the, the, the Corinthian believers, they're not asking this with a genuine sincerity, right? They're, they're almost asking the question as if they're, they're saying it in statement form, right? They have an opinion about it, and this is their question. But I love that Paul answers it. So when he says, you fool, it's not that he's not dissing on a genuine believer asking a simple question. I want you to know that because these are good questions. But he answers it. You fool. <laughs> that which you sow does not come to life until it dies. And that which you sow, you do not sow the body which is to be, but a bare grain, perhaps of wheat or of something else. You know, it, after reading this over and over again this week, I couldn't help, especially when I was reading verse 36, to be reminded of what Paul wrote to the Galatians in Galatians 2.20. Paul says this, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life that I live, I live by faith um, in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. But he says this, I've been crucified with Christ. That means that in my flesh, in my sinful nature, it's all been crucified with Jesus. And you know what's interesting about this is that we are not made alive fully until our flesh dies, right? We're not made alive spiritually until we've put uh, to death our flesh, until it's been crucified with Jesus. And so Paul here, he's, he's taking this entire picture from a spiritual standpoint and even an agricultural standpoint, so that we can understand what happens after this life. And so we begin to see just, again, the amazing things of God working in our lives when we come to faith in Jesus, when we've been crucified with Christ. You know, part of us dies. It's really the worst part of us, right? Who, who, who we are dies. We want to be buried with Christ. We want to be dead to our sinful nature. Now, I don't know if you've noticed this in your walks with Jesus, but sowing to the Spirit requires a lot of dying to oneself, doesn't it? Can I get a shake of heads? Yeah, yeah, right? It's dying to the sinful nature so that the things of the Spirit can grow. And so to give in to the things of the Lord requires you and I to die, die to our selfishness, die to our sinful desires. All of those things die. But what happens in that death is that it brings forth life, life of the Spirit. And so he says again in verse 37, and that which you sow, you do not sow the body which is to be, but a bare grain, perhaps of wheat or something else. Paul's saying that our earthly bodies are like seeds that you plant in the ground. The seed, you know, when you, I don't know, any of you do any farming or any gardening? Raise your hand. Okay, there's a lot of you. I don't, but um, I'm going to trust that I know what I'm talking about here. Okay, so the seed <laughs> that you put in the ground doesn't look like the fruit, does it? Am I, am I, am I right? Yeah, okay, good. <laughs> if you want apples, you don't plant an apple, right? <laughs> you plant probably a bunch of apple seeds. And what that does is that the apple seed, once it's planted, it falls to the ground and they die. And after it dies, it cracks open and something begins to happen. Again, from death comes life. And then one day, hopefully, 10 years from now, you'll have an apple tree. Like that's the hope, bearing fruit. And so Paul, he uses the analogy of the seed to correct two common errors. Number one, 
that our resurrected bodies will be identical to the ones that we buried. And number two, that our resurrected bodies will be completely unrelated to the ones that we have here on earth. And both of those ideas are wrong. You know, when I die, my body will be planted into the ground. Probably not that. I'm going to get cremated. It's way cheaper. But, um, but that's the idea. It becomes like the seed that must die in order to give life. And when I'm resurrected, it will be Ryan Frederick who comes out of the grave. It won't be the Ryan Frederick today. Thank you, Lord, for that. But it won't be anyone else either, right? It's not going to be canard that comes out of the grave, you know, for me. <laughs> You'll come out of the grave too, but you know, but because <laughs> listen, church, if it's not me coming out, then I haven't been resurrected. So it will be me, but a whole new me. I think of Ryan 2.0, perfected, like, wow, my wife is waiting for this day. It's going to be great. <laughs> and listen, I am to, to my resurrected body what the apple seed is to the apple tree. And that's what John meant when he wrote in 1 John 3, 2, Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not appeared as yet what we will be. Today, we're just a bunch of apple seeds or pumpkin seeds or fill in the blank. But tomorrow, I promise, I'm going to be a delicious apple, okay? I'm going to be a delicious apple tree bearing fruit. And this, church, this should radically change our view of death. You know, from, from my perspective, the last few weeks, last month or two, uh, has been really hard when it comes to death. I have been with many in our church, and I don't exaggerate that word many, who have either lost a loved one, I've been with people who have just passed away, I've been with people who have, are soon to go home to be with the Lord. This week alone, you heard about two of them, but we have three memorial services this week alone. And if I can be honest with you, because of that, I can feel the overwhelming power of death. And it's as if death is alive. Sometimes it feels like death is looking at us, like laughing at us, like you fools, you who believe in Jesus, you thought you would live forever, right? But I'm laughing now, right? Your loved one's dead. You're gonna be dead soon too, you know? But then I come to these verses and this week just reminded, I say to myself, oh yeah, death is just like planting the seed in the ground. Listen, if you never plant the seed, you never reap the harvest. Listen, church, in order to be raised from the dead, we have to die first. In order to live for the spirit, you have to die to your flesh. In order to, to, to live with resurrected bodies one day with Jesus, you have to die physically here in this earth. No one will ever be resurrected who wasn't already dead. Which means that death, which seems so fearful at times to us, is actually the necessary first step for all of us. And in verse 38, Paul says, but God gives it a body just as he wished and to each of the seeds, a body of its own. All flesh is not the same flesh, but there is one flesh of men and another flesh of beasts and another flesh of birds and another of fish. Paul's saying that every body is unique. And Paul is reinforcing the Genesis account of God's creation that he created man in his own image. He created animals after their own kind. He didn't say here that all flesh are the same. 
He didn't say that humans are, you know, and monkeys are the same. He didn't say that dinosaurs and birds are the same, except for the pterodactyls maybe. But he says that each is different and each belongs with its kind. Humans with humans, beasts with beasts, fish with fish, birds with birds. And each of God's creation has a body that was specifically designed for them. Verse 40, there are also, he says, heavenly bodies and earthly bodies. But the glory of the heavenly is one and the glory of the earthly is another. He's saying there's bodies that are made for earth and there's bodies that are made for heaven. And each has their own abilities and purpose. And our resurrected bodies will be heavenly bodies. They're going to be suited for life in heaven, not just life here on earth. Verse 41, there is one glory of the sun and another glory of the moon and another glory of the stars for star differs from star in glory. And that's, and that's true. If you were to look at a picture of the galaxy or looked into a really huge you know, telescope, you'll see that not one star is alike. And Paul is saying, just as one star differs from another, so too our future resurrection bodies will differ from the ones that we currently possess. They're going to be different. Now, there's coming a day where we will have a specific glorified body for you and for me. Anyone looking forward to that day? There's going to be nothing more amazing than the time that we are raised from the dead and giving, given these glorified bodies. He says in verse 42, so also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown a perishable body. It is raised an imperishable body. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Paul is saying we were born... And we all die with a, he says, perishable, or maybe your translation says corrupted body. And it doesn't matter, you know, how, who you are. It doesn't matter how fit you might be. Sorry. Like, it doesn't matter if you eat your broccoli for dinner. Don't tell your kids that. Like, no, you got to eat your broccoli. Live a long life. Right? It doesn't matter what your New Year's resolutions are for your physical, you know, self today, this year. We were born with corruption built into our lives because of sin. Our bodies, many of you know this, are decaying. They're fading away. And because of sin, we were born in a body that was eventually going to wear out. And Paul says, we're going to be raised one day with an incorruptible one, an imperishable one. Good news? He says dishonor is going to be overcome with glory. Weakness will be raised in power. You know, when we die in our natural body, we will be raised in our spiritual body, a body fit for heaven, a body fit for eternity. So if you're wondering this morning, well, what kind of body do I get? Well, it leads us to point number two, because it all depends on what kind of man you are, woman you are. Now, this is important for us because we can die in corruption, we can die apart from Jesus, we can all die in our sins, and if that happens, listen, if that happens, if you're not a follower of Jesus this morning, if that happens, eternity or the afterlife or whatever you want to call it is going to look a lot different than what you thought it was going to look like. You see, as I've been talking, and what Paul's saying in 1 Corinthians 15 is that there is a heavenly man, and we know him as Jesus Christ. 
And I'm pretty sure every single one of us this morning, we desire this heavenly body, a body that's free from pain, a body that's free from illness and suffering. There's a lot of sickness going on. We're gonna, we're, we, we long for that day, right, where we don't have to put the thermometer in our mouth and, you know, just lay on the couch and drink vitamin C and all of those things. We long, we need this heavenly body, but listen, we need the heavenly man. And that's what Paul goes on to now. Point number two, the heavenly man. He says in verse 45, so also it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living soul and the last Adam became a life-giving spirit. Now, this phrase, the last Adam, is in reference to Jesus. And notice the differentiation between Adam here in verse 45. He says, who became a living soul and Jesus, who is a life-giving spirit. One Adam in the garden had the ability to receive life. This last Adam that we know who is, who is Jesus has the ability to give life, the power to give life. And in verse 46, he says, however, the spiritual is not first, but the natural, then the spiritual. The first man is from the earth, earthy, that's Adam. The second man, Jesus, is from heaven. As is the earthy, so also are those who are earthy. And as is the heavenly, so also are those who are heavenly. Just as we have borne the image of the earthy, we will also bear the image of the heavenly. So as real, church, as real as you and I are here today, Right, are in our physical bodies, bearing the image of the first man, Adam, so too, because of our faith in Jesus, one day we're going to bear the image of the heavenly man in our spiritual bodies, which are imperishable. Amen? Amen. I love that. Verse 50, he says, Now I say this, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. And this is why, church, we need the resurrection. Our fleshly, says, our fleshly and earthly bodies cannot inherit the kingdom of God. We can't get there like this. He says perishable does not inherit imperishable. So I cannot in my perishable state receive all that God has in store for me in heaven. I can't get there in my physical body. I can't get there just in physical effort alone. I can't pass through the gates of heaven in the condition that I'm in. In other words, there's no way, what Paul is saying, there's no way to gain approval in the sight of God by your flesh. Let me say that again. There is no way to gain God's approval in your flesh. Listen, I don't care who you might think you are today or what you've achieved in this life. If you're at the top of your career, maybe you've won awards for best boss of the year. Listen, none of it matters before God. None of it. If you died today, you're headed to brunch. You think you're headed to brunch. If you died today in your car and you're standing before God, what are you going to show him? Your 401k? your employee of the month award, your bank account, your American dream certificate. Like, hey, I did it. White picket fence and all. Like, no, we need something that, <laughs> that's born of the spirit of God. 
Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.1, he says, For we know that if the earthly tent, which is our house, is torn down, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For indeed, in this house we groan, longing to be clothed with our dwelling from heaven, inasmuch as we, having put it on, will not be found naked. For indeed, while we are in this tent, we groan, being burdened, because we do not want to be unclothed, but to be clothed, so that what is mortal will be swallowed up by life. Now he who has prepared us for this very purpose is God, who gave to us the Spirit as a pledge. The Lord is going to give us a new body designed for eternity. He says in verse 51, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. In a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. When he says here, we will not all sleep, he's referring to death. He's saying that we may not all die. And, and you might be like, wait, 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 wait. I, I thought you said we all die. <laughs> Listen, every single person has an expiration date here on this earth. But what he's referring to here is the rapture of the church. That there will be one last generation of people. We don't know when that time will come who will be alive, who will be caught up in the air with Jesus during um, his coming in the clouds. And look what he says here again in, in verse 52. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we will be changed. It's similar to what Paul wrote in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. I'm going to read it to you. He says, but we do not want you to be uninformed brethren about those who are asleep, so that you will not grieve as do the rest who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, he says, because of that, comfort one another with these words. What he's saying is that there will be people that will die before us. And there may be some of us who, because who knows when the Lord is coming back. We need to be ready for that. We pray he comes quickly. But there may be some of us, maybe in my generation, that will be alive when Jesus returns. And those who have died will be coming with him. And he says, we'll be caught up in the air with them. Now, Side note, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go into it. I kind of left some, some jumping off room if, if I was running short on time, but we'll see. Many people, how many of you have memorized 2 Corinthians 5.8? Let me read it to you. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. You know, some people wonder, and they're a little confused by verse 16 of 1 Thessalonians 4. Let me just read it to you again. It'll be on the screen. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout 
with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God, he says, and the dead in Christ will rise first. You know, many people ask, well, how in the world are the dead in Christ rise first? If, if the moment that you die, you're with the Lord, right? Like, doesn't the Bible say to be absent from the body's present with the Lord? And the thing, though, I just want to briefly mention, the thing that we must understand about 1 Thessalonians is it's speaking of a bodily resurrection. So the moment that you die, the moment that your loved one dies, yes, you will be present with the Lord. Your spirit will immediately be with the Lord, but your body stays. Your physical body remains on the earth. But when Jesus comes for us, the dead in Christ, the bodies, will be raised first. And so there's this bodily resurrection that's going to take place. Now, I don't want to be insensitive to anyone, but over the years, and even in you know, the last 10 years being one of the pastors here, um, you know, some people have had a hard time with just the idea of like cremation. I kind of alluded to it and a little joked about it. Just, they, they struggle with that. They, they struggle with, well, how, how does this idea of a bodily resurrection, if there's cremated, you know, spread ashes at Disneyland, well, you're not supposed to, uh, <laughs> Disneyland or in the ocean or the beach and or, you know, some have asked, that, you know, just a, a very common question, like, well, my, you know, my great uncle was in the Navy, and, you know, he, he got lost at sea, and, like, we're, we don't, his body decomposed in the sea or got swallowed by a whale or something. Like, we don't know, like, what, what happens to the body? Or you donate an organ, <laughs> right, to someone. So what does this look like, right? So many people have chosen open caskets, right? Bury the, the, you know, the, whole, the whole body or else, you know, the, there won't be a bodily resurrection. It's an, interesting, it's an interesting take. But let me just put your mind at ease just in case you've struggled with a couple of those things or those questions. Listen, the God who created your body from the dust of the earth is completely... 100% capable of making sure that the dead in Christ, no matter where they are, no matter how decomposed they are, or whatever it might be, they're caught up and they're out of here. Amen? <laughs> so the dead in Christ's bodies will be raised first. Think just, think about just how huge God is. All right? <laughs> Continue on, verse 30, 53. For this perishable, perishable must put on Im the imperishable. And this mortal must put on immortality. Again, Paul is saying that it's imperative that we change our bodily form in order to spend eternity in heaven. Our bodies cannot last forever. Again, they're temporary houses to, to house our spirit while we're here on the earth. And they can't last forever because of Adam's sin in the Garden of Eden. That's where sin entered the world. But the gift, let me just tell you, the gift of Jesus is a lot different than the gift of Adam. You know, in Romans chapter 5, we get, a, if you want to turn there, you totally can. It'll be on the screen. But in Romans 5, we get a parallel, a great parallel passage to what we're looking at this morning. And we're going to look at Romans 5, starting in verse 16, when Paul would write, The gift is not like that which came through one who sinned. For the one, for on the one hand, the judgment arose from one transgression resulting in condemnation. But on the other hand, the free gift arose from many transgressions resulting in justification. So he's saying that judgment equals condemnation. And the gift of salvation equals justification. 
He says, many transgressions were laid upon Jesus. We know that passage in Isaiah, right? God laid on him the iniquity of us all, our transgressions, our sins. And when Adam sinned, sin entered the world. And because of his sin, we all sin. And it's an unfortunate thing. I think I, I always liken it to like the Olympics, right? Every four years, the Olympics happen, right? And so what, do every, what does every country do? They send their best athletes, right? To the Olympics to compete. They're representing more than just themselves, representing the country that sent them. And so years ago when Michael Phelps was at, was at his top game, right? When Michael Phelps won, all of USA won, right? We're all rejoicing. When Michael Phelps lost, we all lost, right? And Adam, just think of it this way. He represented all of mankind. So when Adam sinned, we all sinned. All of mankind, sin entered the world. But Paul goes on in Romans 5, 17. He says, for if by the transgression of the one, death reigned through the one, much more those who receive the abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. So death reigned through Adam, but much more than death, life Life reigns through Jesus Christ. And if Christ is in me, if Christ is in you, as Colossians says, we have the hope of glory. In verse 18, Paul says, So then as through one transgression there resulted condemnation to all men, even so through one act of righteousness there resulted justification of life to all men. And so because of Adam... We're all born in a sinful state in our very nature. And the judgment of God is very clear on sin, isn't it? And the only thing that will ever alter our course that we're on in this life that's leading to hell, leading to destruction, is faith in Jesus Christ alone. Faith in Jesus Christ alone. He says in verse 19, For as through the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, even so through the obedience of the one, the many will be made righteous. We know that Jesus, he humbled himself and was obedient to the Father, even to the point of death on the cross. Adam disobeyed God directly. Don't eat that fruit right of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And by it, the whole human race fell into sin, became captives to sin. The entire nature of man, mentally, emotionally, physically, spiritually, all tainted, all affected by sin. But because of Jesus' obedience, we all can be made righteous. And Paul, he concludes that section of Romans 5, just the last two verses, says, The law came in so that the transgression would increase. But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, even so grace would reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. I love that. Where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. Are you grateful for that this morning? One person's very excited in the back. I love it. <laughs> Because of this grace, God's grace reigns through the righteousness of Jesus that's been given to us, our hope of glory, eternal life through Jesus. And so though all paid for one man's mistake, we see the plan of God fulfilled in Jesus Christ, that second Adam paying for all 
of our sin. And though Adam lost and all mankind lost, Jesus won. Jesus won, making it possible for mankind to beat death and have victory over sin. Listen, church, this morning, this is the great hope that you and I have. We have this hope. We don't hope for this. We have this. And so by Jesus' righteousness, which was given to you because of your faith in him, the righteousness you now possess enables you and I to rule over death. Back in 1 Corinthians 15, look at verse 54. It says this, but when this perishable will, ha- will put on the imperishable and this mortal will have put on immortality, then will come about the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? This is fulfilled, church, when you and I die. That's when we begin our our lives, truly. And that seed that was planted within us has been given for, that brings forth life to us, eternal life. And he says, the sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. It says sin brings forth death and sin is exposed by God's law. Many people, we all stand guilty before God because of our sin. And sin, the Bible tells us the wages of sin is death and death is a result of our disobedience to the Lord. And the power though of sin is the law, meaning that the moment that our sin was exposed for what it is, it showed us what our sin really was and the power that it had to consume us and to destroy us. And so the law pointed out the power of sin, that we could no longer conquer it in our own strength, that we could never be good enough to get to heaven. The law shows you and I, it reveals to us how much we have fallen from God. Again, the law points out sin, but more importantly, the law points out our need for a savior. And that's what the law does. It was meant to be a tutor, the Bible says. Something to show us, hey, this is what sin is. If you continue down that that path and you continue to just gratify the desires of your flesh, it will destroy you. It will consume you and you will spend eternity away from God. So you need a savior. You need a saving. That's why Paul says in verse 56 or 57, I love this. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Can we say amen to that? Thank you, God. Thank you, God. So when you look at just, just the horribleness of death and how problematic and overwhelming sin is, we say with Paul, thank you, God, who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, do I fear death? No. Do I have a death wish? No. (laughs) The life that I live here on this earth, church, I want to live for the glory of God. I want my whole life to be lived for the glory of God. Many people have asked, and a few, few of you have asked about this third service. And you were shocked. 
You're like, why are we doing a third service? This is crazy. Like, why are you, like, Ryan, you're, oh, you're probably going to be even more exhausted. You know, and, and I know you're, there's a lot of people that are concerned and all of those things. And all I have to say is this, that at the end of my life, church, I want to be able to say to the Lord one day, Lord, I left it all in the field for you. I left it all on the field for you. I was all in. Sundays are going to be, I was, I was driving this morning, I'm like, oh my gosh, Sundays are getting ready to be like a 14-hour day or something crazy. I want to be all in for Jesus. Why? So that, he can love, so that he can love me? No, because he has loved me and loves me so very much. And my prayer, church, is for all of us that we, the short life that we have, that we would maximize it. You've all been given certain talents. My prayer is that you would steward those talents for the glory of God. And that one day, each and every one of us will, will stand before Jesus and we will hear him say, well done, my good and faithful servants, enter into the rest As we close in verse 58, he says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. It's not in vain. Why? Because he's not in the grave. And he's not in the grave because he's risen. So everything that we do for the Lord is for a purpose. It's for his glory. It's for his, the expansion of his kingdom. And the same power that raised Jesus from the grave is the same power that's going to raise you and I. And your perishable will put on imperishable. And your mortality will put on immortality. And we will all say, thanks be to the Lord who gives us victory through Jesus Christ. We didn't earn it. We didn't deserve it, but he did it all for us, church, because he loves us. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's study in the book of 1 Corinthians. If you're ever in the Portland area, we would love to have you visit for one of our services. For more information about our church, you can visit our website at ccseportland.com. We hope you've been blessed by this study. Stay tuned for our next series coming soon.